Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Thanks, honey. Hey, everyone. First, I just want to say thank you so much for joining Forrest and I in this episode of the Art of Money podcast. I hope you get a lot out of this season of the show, and we've got some great episodes for you over the coming weeks, starting with this one you're listening to right now. As Forrest mentioned, a while back I did a series of interviews that we called Money Memoirs. I interviewed 33 colleagues and past students of my Art of Money program, and in each interview I asked a similar set of questions, all of which had folks diving into some area of their relationship with money that's rarely talked about openly. What came out of these interviews was deep and touching and moving and inspiring. To see people open up as they did and be so transparent was just really amazing for me and everyone who got to enjoy it. In this episode of the show today, we're going to share a number of stories from colleagues of mine that have to do with going through challenging periods around money. We've all had them and will likely continue to have them in one way or another. And somehow hearing other people sharing their stories about challenging times and how they got through them can be so helpful and supportive for us, whether we're going through something hard now or the next time we hit a rough patch in our relationship to money. So we're going to start with my friend Kate Soboda, who is an online business that supports and teaches people to build successful life coaching businesses for themselves. Let's jump into this part of our conversation about Kate's money memoir. Just please share with us how would you describe your relationship to money? Um, changing hugely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in a real state of transition. And I think that that's because for most of my 20s, I didn't really have any money. So I kind of rode for a long time on the excuse that there was, you know, if there wasn't a lot of money, then there wasn't really a need to learn about saving or investing. And that's not to say that I necessarily made irresponsible choices with my money. I'm so grateful that I didn't rack up a bunch of credit card debt in college or, Hmm. um, you know, just, just stuff like that. I'm glad I didn't do that in my twenties, but, um, then I think I got to my thirties and I started making more money and, it was like all those years of not having money and the scarcity I felt around that. 
just went wildly unleashed and mm. something some mechanism within me was like woohoo I get to play now yeah yeah <laughs> and what that's meant now that I'm arriving in my mid-30s is that um I'm changing from this either or equation of I don't have any money and thus I feel really buckled down and like I can't have fun or I have lots of money and I'm just having fun with it. And now it's like, what's the proportion in that that works mm -hmm. for me um, where I still get to have some fun and I still get to um, invest for the future, invest in my future. Mm -hmm. um, I've really been thinking a lot about more of the emotional terrain of money. I tend not to feel worried or concerned mm -hmm. about my capacity to pay my bills or balance my checkbook my internal money gyroscope seems to always like kick in hmm. um, with the fun that I have, you know, before I can get myself into any like money trouble, like serious debt or like a big, you know, an impulse buy. I seem to have the mechanism in place that stops me from doing that. But if there is money there when the bills have been paid, my first impulse is like, I want to have fun with it. Because mm -hmm. I grew up poor uh, all through my 20s. It was like, I remember after um, after graduate school when I had my first job, my treat of the week was a $4 Starbucks chai on Friday. One. Mm -hmm. So like to go from that to being an entrepreneur, working for myself, um, my business has not hit six figures yet, but it came close last year. Yeah. Like to go from $4 chai once a week is a yeah. big deal to um, you could stay at a really nice hotel when mm. you go to WDS and you can have fun and you can eat out every night and it's totally fine. Mm. Big, huge, mm. and I'm learning my way with it. And then Barry dug a little deeper into Kate's relationship with money and asked her how it had been when she was young. I don't think I had a relationship to money growing up. It felt like it felt like something that everybody else had a relationship to, but I didn't. Mm. It was a constant problem. I, interestingly, though, um, whenever I've taught classes, I really feel like I can say from a true place of having reconciled the experience of having grow, grown up poor that um, it's weird. It's like I don't regret that. I don't, it, mm. it, it, like, I used to, I used to wildly resent it. I felt like everybody else had gotten something mm. that I had not had. Um, and now I feel like it made me hungry mm. in the best way. Yeah. It, yeah. Made, me a, it made me a little ferocious. Mm. It made me a little, like, mm. like a, it, it made me a go-getter. It yeah. made me somebody who was going to hustle. It made me somebody who was going to hike up my panties and get it done. Yeah. And now it's that releasing of the, because that can have a real grip quality to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that hustling can have a real grip. And now it's like a releasing of the grip now that I've made mm -hmm. money. But like I said, I can see how I went in the other direction. It was like party time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo. You know, and so that so $4. Now it's more about yeah. proportion. I hesitate okay. to say balance because it's like, uh, I don't think anybody's really balanced, but yeah. proportion, proportionally to what I make. I would really like to, uh, I, I'm, I, it's not a like to, I'm already, and I'm happy about that, mm -hmm. changing um, how I view this, the excess that's less left over. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeing it as like, that's party money, that's fun money, play money, it's like, 
some of it's play money and some of it's like play in the future money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you opened up that valve, right? That was really tight. It's opened up. You've given yourself the woohoo, you know, just some celebration, pure celebration. And now you're finding not the word balance, right? But just finding how can I enjoy now and keep celebrating, but also really consider six months, a year, five years, 10 years, even longer. Your story is a really beautiful story about, you know, we're all born with a lot in life. And I work with folks who consider their environment that they grew up in poor or, or would name it middle class, or they call it a very wealthy family. And I see strengths and gifts in all of those stories. And I see huge challenges in all of those stories. So I love that you've done so much work to really come around and say, yeah, that was hard. That was very hard living through that and experiencing that. And it made you feisty and hungry and to go out there and create. And some people at the opposite end of the spectrum don't have that because everything is given to them. And they're, you know, they have their own gifts and they have their own challenges. Right. Yeah. There's another beautiful gift that Kate was able to unwrap from having been through the challenges of growing up without much money. Every purchase she makes, whether it's for an object or an experience, goes through a sort of curation filter. She makes sure that every single thing she buys is something she's fully behind, that it's something that she really, really wants because she's seen the consequences of making less than great money decisions. Well, I saw the consequences of that growing up. Mm. Like, like when I say that I grew up poor, I'm talking about um, the summer where there was a drought in Missouri. So it was, and we didn't have air conditioning. Um, so it was hot as hell. Mm. Um, the utilities were getting turned off. We'd had someone staying with us who left. And when he left his cat, we had a flea outbreak. And like my, my dad, took us to the grocery store and said, I've got 20 bucks for food for all of us for the next two weeks. I need you to help me figure out what to buy. And it was 10. And I had the great idea Mm -hmm. of uh, getting pancake mix because all you have to do is add water. And we ate for two weeks, pancakes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it was like grad school before I could have pancakes again without feeling sick. And So I really feel like I've seen the consequences of serious debt of serious and, and that's Mm. not to paint my father, for instance, as somebody who is always terrible with money. Things happen. Um, In his case, a divorce happened, a custody battle happened with both of my parents. Things happened. That's not to say that, Mm. you know, they didn't make poor money choices at times and great money choices at other times. Um, it's just more so to say that whether the circumstances are due to someone doing the best they can and shit just happens or whether the circumstances are somebody just didn't really make the best choices, it doesn't really matter. The Mm. consequences are the same. And I saw the consequences of that. Mm. So that's like, it ends up being this gift to me that I want everything in my life to be a beautiful thing that I appreciate because Mm. why would I want to go to that over there where... I'm just struggling to pay utilities. Mm -hmm. But Kate didn't stop there. She seems to have a beautiful ability to find so many gems within difficult situations. Barry went on in the interview to ask Kate if she would share a story from her past where she experienced money shame. 
which is something that all of us have had in one way or another. In all the years of teaching this work, Barry has never come across someone who doesn't have some kind of money shame story. So here's Kate getting really vulnerable and real and coming out the other side with a gem at the end. Okay, so let's, um, I, I want to talk about money shame. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I believe that we all have money shame, like we all have a money shame story that we tell ourselves, some experience that we've had from the past or some belief or something that's played itself through and it may not be happening anymore today. But do you have one from your past or that's current? The thing that I felt the embarrassment or inadequacy about again is that at this about six months ago something really clicked with me where I went you know I've been saying to myself all these years that the only reason that I don't have money in savings or more to invest is because I don't have a lot of money like I've mm -hmm. kind of like kicked the can you know down the line instead of like really actually going do I have the money to invest mm -hmm. or save right here right now and it's like, uh, it's like this tide effect. It's like the tide comes in and the tide comes out. When I made very little money, the tide would come in with very little money and it would go right out with very little money. And I just thought I made an excuse in essence. Oh, it's because I don't have a lot of money. But now that I've got like a lot of money actually coming into my life or more than I've ever seen before, yeah. it's like the tide, the money still comes in and the tide still rushes out. Now, to be fair, because I do like to be gentle with that little kid side of myself. You know, this part I keep referring to of like party time. Yeah. Like I recognize that that's a little kid within who never got an opportunity to play with money, who, um, you know, didn't get a lot of experiences that she really wanted when she was younger. And so some mm -hmm. of the things that I've done have been like taking trips or, you know, just opting to throw money at a problem instead of taking on like trying all the 15 things to figure it out. Mm. And I've paid off, uh, as I mentioned, I've paid off a considerable amount of student loan debt. Yeah. But the thing that I look at is like to make as much money as I am now making and to in essence not have anything to show for it to to really, you know, like if I got into a horrible car accident, knock on wood, you know, it's like, I don't have enough money to recover in my bank account to recover for probably more than like three or four months. And I'm just kind of like, that's crazy to me, like that I, I'm making this much money and I have that little of a cash reserve. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of thing where I go, you know, Kate, you need to look at this really, because mm -hmm. what's happening is when I make more money, I'm not um, saving more. I'm just having more playtime, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which mm -hmm. is a very little kid approach to take. And, you know, like I said, it, it, the gentleness is there. And that doesn't mean that she and her money habits and that side of me are supposed okay. to be running the show. It's time for her to grow up a little bit yeah. and see that she can have fun with money. And again, that it can be fun to invest in the future, the fun of the future. Yeah. Well, this is a thing, you know, whenever I start talking about money with people, I, I've seen this in my student community for years. A lot of people talk about they feel like a kid around money or they feel like a teenager totally rebelling against their parents, against culture, the environment they grew up, they're rebelling. 
or the relationship to money, they feel like they're infants, you know? So I hear people using this language a lot and I think it's helpful just to identify, okay, I feel mature and adult and responsible in all these areas of my lives. And when it comes to money, not all of my money relationship, you're talking about one area, right? Mm-hmm. But this one yeah, area Yeah, because it's like I totally like- balance my checkbook and, you know, if I do rack up credit card debt, I pay it down. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not a spiraling out of control that seems to happen in my life. It's just like the tide comes in, yeah. the tide goes out. And when the tide goes out, I'm going, wait a second. I, I put so much time and investment into building my business, building a friendship, building my marriage. Yeah. Why am I not putting time and investment into building this area? Yeah. Well, you're asking yourself to change a pattern. The tide mm-hmm. going in, the tide going out, it, there's a nice trust in that. That works for some people. You know, I do know some people that live that. The tide comes in, it goes out, and they choose to live that way in life and with their relationship to money, you know? Mm-hmm. What I hear you're saying is a few things. Is one is just because of how you grew up that, you know, as you started really earning your own money, there needed to be like time for you to get to experiment and explore and play and party and attend to that little girl and give her some of those things that she never had and let her choose and just she she needed to have that time so yeah yeah yeah, she did she has yeah Yeah. so I'm I mean I'm really thrilled that she's she's getting that and that you the your adult woman is strong enough that has been able to create what you're creating and then offer this for her you know Mm -hmm. And now I hear that you're, you know, you're ready um, to take it to the next step. You know, I, I, I feel like, I mean, our money journey is lifelong, right? We're always tweaking and fine tuning and adding new things. So you're already telling us, you know, and sharing with us what's next, which yeah. is like, she's had time to play and explore. And now the adult you is, is going to sit her down and have a conversation and say, okay, come on, can we... Can we also add in this piece of this future thinking of some future planning while you're also getting to play and like, how can we just add this in more at the same time, you know? Well, and it's really about teaching her to trust because uh, I had this realization recently, I was on the phone with someone who said in relationship to money, we were having a conversation about how we treat money and she said, you know, I would never build a house and then just like yank out the windows. So like, why do I sort of treat my money like that? Like I'm Mm -hmm. building something, but then yanking out like a piece of it so that the structure isn't really whole. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, she's saying, I really want to invest in something and, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and create a long lasting structure. And it just hit me like that. Like, Oh, that's part of how I spend. I go for the guarantee. Like, Um, And this is a holdover from childhood, right? Like there was no guarantee that there wouldn't be at any moment a creditor calling or a utility turned off or by the side of the road without gas. There was no guarantee of any of that. And so as an adult, it's like once my basic needs are, are taken care of, this little kid within doesn't trust that it's going to be okay in the future. So she goes, I'd rather have the trip now. Because yeah. you see, we could put $2,000 or $20,000 or $200,000 in the bank, and there could be an Enron, you know, type of situation. You know, things happen. Good people put their money away all the yeah. time. 
and it gets yanked out from under them. I'd rather have the amazing dinner with friends, the trip, mm. the um, mm. cute new pair of shoes, you know, because that's a guarantee mm. and the mm. other stuff isn't. And so it's like really taking that young child and letting her know like, hey, you and I are like, we're collaborating now. Mm. And I'm an adult who, uh, the adult side of me needs is dialoguing with her needs to dialogue with her is yeah um and saying it's okay to trust we got this mm. we're gonna get this taken care of your mm. needs are going to get met yeah and I am to totally have a capacity for it mm. Mm. beautiful I keep feeling teary-eyed yeah as... me too <laughs> This is actually a really common theme that we see popping up each year in the Art of Money program and in Barry's private financial therapy sessions. So often it seems that people eventually become aware of the fact that a lot of their relationship with money is being controlled by a much younger version of themselves, a, a little kid version of them that's kicking around somewhere within their psyche. We've seen it time and time again in our program members, private clients, and even I'm still working on my inner child when it comes to certain areas of my relationship with money. You'll hear more about how I'm working with that in a few episodes down the road. For now though, why don't we jump into a money memoir conversation that Barry had with Andrea Scher, who teaches a number of different online courses on everything from photography to cultivating courage to building online e-courses. She also had a powerful experience of getting in touch with a little one inside of her who had created some stories around money a long time ago. So um, what is your, you know, money shame story experience? Do you still have a money shame story that you tell yourself now? Or is it more something from the past that you went through? I think it's still fairly current for me. So the story that showed up when I thought of that, um, it was a really simple story. It wasn't an earth-shattering experience. It was my sister and I, my sister is older than me, going to the store one day for my parents, picking up a few things. They gave me the money to hold, probably because I said I wanted to hold it. And by the time we got to the store, I had lost it. And we got to the register, and I just remember, you know, the, the, the wash of, like, hot flush on my cheeks and, like, the shame of, of my pockets being empty and not knowing what happened to the money. Mm -hmm. And from then on, my parents would only give my sister the money. Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh, so this story became a defining moment in my life. I didn't know it was a defining moment until more recently. But it became that because of the story I told myself when it happened. Yeah, yeah. And the story I told myself was like, you can't be trusted with money. You are not responsible enough, or you don't care enough about it, or you don't know how to take care of money. Mm. And that is a very, I'm getting chills just saying it out loud because, I mean, it's visceral. Like, I feel the, like, ugh of that. So, because it sounds like you've carried that, you you carried that mm -hmm. story with you, and yeah. it's still here. Did you let it go at some point? 
No, in fact, it probably requires some kind of forgiveness ritual. Mm. Um, It's really not something that I I even had thought about in a long time until um, you asked me that question. And it goes back to that, you know, that that moment I had in the bathroom when I said, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a steward of money. I can do this. Like, oh, my God, I'm a grown up and I can do this. I can hold the money. Yeah. You know, so there was a healing, that was a healing moment for me. Mm. Mm. But, uh, not but, but, and I'm wondering even, like, even that voice, did was she even, like, connected to that little girl? Like, hey, little one that took that money, and did you just, let me, did you just, like, turn around and drop it? Do you, do you have, I'm sure you've gone back and tried to remember, what were you thinking, what were you feeling? Did you, did it drop out of your pocket? Did you like, do you remember that? Do you remember? I don't. I don't remember the details. I just remember that every time we went somewhere after that, they would explicitly hand my sister the money, Mm. even though she was only a year Mm. older than me. And even though we were, you know, we were probably nine and ten years old. Um, And so it always, and I was happy with that scenario I was like yeah yeah give her the money I don't want to lose the money again that felt terrible okay like let her be on the hook for the money yeah and I do that with my husband now okay. I defer to my okay. husband I'm like oh okay. you do you do that I mean I, I pay the bills mm-hmm. and I I make a lot of the money in our home actually but when it comes to like you know any investments that we have or taxes or that kind of thing I'm like can you do that I don't know if I trust myself. Mm. So that's what needs to shift. Yeah. That's what needs to go. That's so not true and right. hasn't been true for many, many years. Yeah. Um, I'm getting tears, like even mm. thinking of the little you, thinking of this role, that mm. story that was given to you and that you put on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And was really myself giving it to me. Okay. Because it was really okay. a very ordinary parenting moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which, but uh, yeah, yeah, I really made up a story and then didn't know that I made up a story. Hmm. Which is why hmm. this process is so healing. Because those stories, you know, that run our lives and they're invisible um, and there's shame around them. If we're not shining lights on them, they're just going to run our lives. Oftentimes, colleagues who are interviewed by Barry email her just after the interview is over and say something like, Barry, thank you so much for that interview. I mean, I feel like I just had an amazing therapy session. It's a gift of Barry's, one of her superpowers. She does this naturally in private therapy sessions and in the monthly group coaching calls during the year-long Art of Money program, and, as you'll hear in a moment, in her interviews as well. So it sounds like you are really open to doing some kind of money healing ritual. Yeah. Where you create some kind of ceremony, and you take this off, you know? Mm -hmm. You take off this cloak. You take off this role that you gave to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you're already doing it. Like you're already like you're like I can be a steward. Hello, you know I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready yeah. for this new role. Give it to me. You know. Right, right. And in that moment, I even thought, I'm exactly the kind of person that should have this role. I have a mm-hmm. good heart. I will do good things with this money. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything even in this moment knowing that you're going to go and create some kind of forgiveness or healing or ritual around this to connect all the dots because they're there. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you play a different role now. I mean, maybe it might be different with, here, honey, do this part. You know, maybe that Mm -hmm. will start playing out a little different. Mm -hmm. But is there anything even to say to her, to you, right now I just feel uh, you know a real compassion for that little me and um, of course I made up that story and and of course I was like oh yeah you take the money I don't I don't want that responsibility if I don't have to have it you know I I think it was a really reasonable thing for me to think Mm. Um, so just really holding that with compassion and understanding feels good and also seeing the connection um not just in how i might defer to matt for certain money things but also the ceiling that i put on how much i'm willing to earn or receive i think that there's a real connection there too and like too much like i don't know if i would know what to do with a whole lot of money okay so this story this role Mm-hmm. really is still playing out. It's changing, but it's really had an impact in how you relate in your marriage, how you charge. This, yes. This 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 huge one moment. Were you six? Were you seven? Were you five? Were you eight? I, yeah. yeah, you know, probably seven or eight, right around okay. there. Yeah. 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 So that's, you know, I'm, you know, we're always evolving our relationship to money. We're always mm-hmm. adjusting, tweaking, like there's always next steps, you know, practically to add in emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. So it sounds like this is it, right? Is yeah. this, is this what's next? I mean, you're doing all, I mean, everything you did in August in your home, charging more, like you're, you're actually, you're already making the change, right? Yeah. Is there anything else? Yeah, exactly. It's almost like sometimes I do my healing work in reverse. I don't Mm -hmm. try to feel better or feel more worthy before I charge more money. It's like sometimes I try – in this case, it was a little bit of a different scenario, but historically, I I, I almost reverse engineer it, and I think, okay, if I charge something that makes me uncomfortable, I'm probably in the ballpark – so I'm just going to do that and feel the discomfort of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But also what you're doing is like you're taking all these steps, and there's, of course, going to be more l- layers of this or more acknowledgement, but it's also like the next piece is just acknowledging your new money identity, right? And yeah. I, I, th- th- those are Fabeku's. I interviewed him last week or two weeks ago, and that was his words, and I loved it. I was like, I really he, love that. Isn't that great? He says he does it every day. So like, I, I, you know, that may be too much, for, you know, for you or me, mm-hmm. but like even every few months, like okay, or every every month, like you are clearly living and stepping into a new money identity right now. 
Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that one on because I think you're right. I think those stories expire at some yep. point, and yep. we don't acknowledge that they've expired. Yep. Yeah. Kate and Andrea aren't the only ones who are dealing with healing old money wounds and stories that their inner young selves went through. Our friend and colleague Sarah Avant Stover, who teaches a number of different online courses that help women around feminine empowerment and spiritual practice and yoga, found a similar situation when Barry asked her if she had any money shame stories that she'd be willing to share. Yeah, my experience with healing is that like healing these inner voices and like disempowered and disowned parts of ourselves is that they're always with us, mm. but they just, we just develop a different relationship with them. So they don't run the show. Yeah. So right now I'm in touch with the little girl in me that says, I, I can never earn money. Mm. And this is something that I was conditioned in. I, I felt disempowered around money. It felt like my dad, one of the ways that he, like moved through life was controlling through money. And so I always felt like I was on the outside of that. Mm. And so one of the things when I worked with Andrea, there was a, there was a part of me that always felt like something was going to save me. Like the right person was going to read my book or I was going to get the right opportunity. And like something outside of me was going to come in and like give me cash flow that I needed. Mm-hmm. Prince and, Charming, and, the yeah. investor, the, you know, someone, something. yeah, someone was going to. And so a year and a half ago, it was like, I had to fully face that disempowered little girl mm-hmm. in me and, and become, um, Andrea calls it just self-generating cash flow, self-generating cash flow destiny. Like I needed to, to say, okay, this is how much money I need to make this month and I'm going to generate it yeah. from within me. Mm. So yeah, there's still that voice in me that says, you, you don't know how to make money. You can't make money. Mm. Did you have to actually like list out, well, here's what I want to make for the month. This is the number, but this is what it all represents. Did it have to have some deeper value yeah. or meaning for you? Yeah. And then mm. was like, and this is the number. And it's time to yeah. generate. Like, and there used to be a part of me that when I looked at the number that I needed to make or that I wanted to make, it's like, how the hell am I going to make that much? Okay. So I had to cross that gap and turn inside myself. Mm. And now it's like, oh, that's not a problem. Mm. I make that or I exceed that. And mm. so what's my next goal? Yeah. It doesn't scare you anymore. It's... It doesn't scare me. It's like, oh, I know I can do that. Yes. Sarah is a close friend and consulting client of mine as well. And it's so beautiful to see the growth she's done around that, to be able to not be scared anymore about how she's going to make the amount of money that she needs to make. But there was a period before she reached that knowingness where things weren't as easy when she was going through a big financial crisis. So are we already even beginning to touch on like one of the, mo- the hardest money moments you've had? Here we are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> let's go into it and then we'll go back to what are you great at? What are your strengths and all of that? Where do you rock? You know, so, so tell us more about a year and a half ago, this moment. Tell us some of the gory details. What was this financial crisis? What did it look like? How did you get yourself through it? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. Well, my, my first book, The Way the Happy Woman was published in May of 2011. And, um, 
at that time I had been, I had moved home from Thailand to Boulder for about, I'd been here for about three years. And I was still in the transition of, of building my career over here in the States. And I went into my book launch with full intuition. I, I'd run my life from my intuition. Mm-hmm. And intuition was guiding me to go on a book tour, to create a new website, et cetera, et cetera. And I did all those things and it was tremendously expensive. And the return on investment was not what I expected it to be. And it was slower. It wasn't as quick as I needed it to be. And at that same time, one of the retreats, which was a core part of my income that I had just moved over from Thailand, it was very established in Thailand. It was the first year I was going to try to do it on this side of the world. It didn't have enough signups. Um, I, I needed to learn new marketing skills and I had to cancel it. And that was like my last kind of hook in a, in a hope of being able to sail through that challenging time where my, in, where my expenses far exceeded my income. Mm. And I went into a dark night of the soul. Mm. It was also related with a lot of spiritual learnings that I was having at that time um, with what I call my inner she, my, my mm. inner guidance. Mm. And I remember she woke me up at four in the morning one morning after I realized I had to cancel that retreat. It was like in January morning. And she said, we have to destroy everything. Mm. Every last thing you have to completely surrender and let it go. And then we can rebuild, but you need to rebuild from my guidance. Mm. And it needs to be completely true and in tune with me. So we're going to redo this and it's going to be hard, Mm. but you have to let go. And, um, and I did, and it was so scary. Um, I went into debt for the first time in my life. Mm. I, for the first time in my life, I remember the day when I went to the grocery store and my debit card was declined because my bank account went to zero. Mm -hmm. Immediately after that, I went to my mailbox and there was a check in there. And that, that, that's kind of how it was, you know, it was like, how much do you trust? Mm. How much do you trust? And it's like, I was always okay but I had to go into that intense, like that was one of my greatest fears running out of money. Mm. And I had to fully go in there and hang out in that space uh, to find what was true and, and to rebuild. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that happens sometimes, (laughs) right. In our healing journey that we, we step right into, or we literally fall right into what we're so afraid of. Right. And I love how you describe your inner she. I haven't heard that. You know, I've heard my inner child. I've heard my intuition, you know, my inner knowingness, my inner she. Yeah. It's just really, I really like that. I really like that. And it sounds like she was a bit Kali like in the sense that she said, (laughs) I mean, you also fell and, you know, clearly you were operating in transition where any kind of transition, usually we can't always plan those. Sometimes we plan, but this one wasn't planned. You had planned. The retreat was going to happen. Um, you were going to make all these investments in your business and get a return much quicker than you did, right? It was all planned out mm-hmm. really nicely, you know, and didn't happen that way. And so in a transition, everything gets thrown up in the air again, and you need to reevaluate what's right. How do I want to do this? And 
Also, most business business owners don't talk about, okay, are you bootstrapping? Yeah. Are you using your savings that you made in the corporate world? Or if you were never in the corporate world, like you and me, okay, so are you using credit card? Are you using a bake line? Are, you know, what are you doing when at the beginning or what are you doing years later when you're ready to grow, when the whole entity energy of your business is ready to grow, you know? Mm -hmm. So I love that story. And then your inner, she said, like, we're, we're like throwing everything out and redoing. Right. Yeah. So what did you learn? Anything else, anything else that you can share about how you got yourself through that time, what you learned and what you're doing differently today? Yeah. Um, I had to learn, which I'm still learning. And I think I'll be learning for the rest of my life, but my divine pride. And I've heard Ken Wilber, um, the philosopher and founder of Integral Theory, talk about divine pride. And it's like finding that part of me that is my she, who I, knows why I'm here, knows that I have a finite time here, knows that I have a clear mission and purpose and, and passion of things that I need to, to do and mm. to, to share and to serve in this lifetime. And to stake myself in that fully. And it doesn't mean that I'm not afraid or I don't have doubts or, you know, that I'm not insecure. Like those are alive parts of me too, but, but to stake my primary identity in her with a capital H mm. and to know that when I did that, the money was going to come. Mm. And that then that there were also different, there are also blind spots that I had, like I needed to learn certain skills yeah. in terms of growing my business that were very practical. Yeah. And what I do now in my business more and more, it's like, it's a really fine dance between being really practical mm. and being really deeply soul-centered. Mm. And I, like, I needed to marry those two in a, in a deeper way. Mm. So I started researching a business coach and following my intuition to find her. I knew it had, a, I was open to it being a man, but I felt like it needed to be a woman and um, I found her, her name's Andrea Lee, and we had a discovery session and I told her everything that was going on with like, with my soul evolution and facing bankruptcy with my business and facing like, do I need to walk away from this and just get a regular job, which I've never had like my mm. whole life. Yeah. And she told me how much the coaching package was. And I was like, you know, I looked at my bank account, it's like, I, you know, okay, but I, I felt inside, I'll find a way. Mm. So I was praying for a miracle, praying for the answer. And I remember I was driving, I was driving to, to the gym here one, one day, and I, I, right when I was driving under a traffic light, when it was turned from yellow to red, I, I realized, I remembered, like, I have a set amount of money in my IRA. Mm. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. I have to cash out my IRA. Mm -hmm. And I did that and I worked with her. And um, last year, my income tripled this year. It's going to be doubling from the last year. And she helped me to climb out of that dark spot. Yeah. So I just got the chills. Um, you know, in any money initiation, we're going to have to, we're being asked and required to do the deep internal soul work. Right. And then there's all these practical skill sets 
that most of us were not taught growing up. And I, it, it sounds like you were so clear, you need to add those in as well, right? And really be balancing the heaven and the earth yeah. to move yourself out and through that money initiation. One of the things that's so touching and impactful about these stories of challenge around money is that all of the people you're hearing Barry interview have achieved what most people would call very successful levels of income. If you see them from the outside and you get a sense of the size of their businesses and communities, you'd probably never ever know that they went through some huge challenges and had to overcome and learn to work with some deep money shame in order to reach the levels of success that they've reached. The same holds true for Mark Silver, who is the founder of The Heart of Business, which teaches heart-centered entrepreneurs how to build successful businesses without selling their soul. The Heart of Business continues to grow and get more popular each year, reaching hundreds and hundreds of people. But Mark, too, went through a really challenging time around money. But like Kate at the beginning of this episode, he's really good at pulling out some gems from the hard times that have helped him move onward and upward. Can you remember a time when you had money shame or money shame story that kept playing itself out or looping inside of you? Do you remember what one of those shame stories was? Could you share that? Do you, do you remember what it felt sure. like? Or Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the biggest ones was um, early, or much, much earlier in my wife and I's relationship, we had I was in a different business and things had gone badly and uh, we were in a really hard place financially and I was un- I was totally unconscious I wasn't looking at the bills I wasn't looking at the numbers I wasn't looking at anything and my wife had um, she had had a 10-year healing journey with Lyme's disease it was really really challenging but anyway that was kind of mixed in there and we got to the end of the month it was like a couple of days before the end of the month and the rent was due and we were like $3,000 short. And I'm like, I didn't even know how this came about. I was so unconscious. And I was so scared. I was so scared. Uh, I was reduced to tears. I remember just sobbing. And Holly was just holding me. And I didn't know what else to do except call my parents. And this, I mean, you know, I had been out of the house for quite a while at that point. I was in my, I guess I must have been in my late. 20s at that point. I'd been supporting myself. I'd had a job. You know, I'd had different jobs. I'd been, you know, I was living across the country. I'd, you know, I was an adult and I was so scared. And I called my parents and um, I said, I don't know. I, you know, I hate coming to you like this. I just, I don't know what else to do. And I never forget it. My dad said to me, I mean, they thankfully were in a position to be able to help us. And, um, and they did. And, but even more than the money, my dad said something, you know, when your mother and I were starting out, we struggled too, and we got help. Mm-hmm. And I just, there was something in the way that he said that, that was like, there wasn't any judgment, there wasn't any, anything there. And there was this, like the lesson that came in for me around that, that was so healing, was that, oh, like, I'm not supposed to do this on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to need help. It's okay to need help. Mm. And it was such a deep lesson for me in that moment that it washed away a lot of the shame because 
at that point, I did have a lot of shame around when I couldn't do it for myself or I couldn't take care of myself or, I could, you know, it's like, can I do this? Can I make it work? Can I make it work? You know, and... And, and how much was that just about being a human in your late 20s? How much was that being about being a man um, and wanting to support your wife? You know, can you share a little bit about, because I talk to so many women, you know, so much of my community right. is women, and I certainly get men too, but I would love to hear a little bit about, I mean, here you were in your, how beautiful your wife, you're crying in your wife's arms, and I mean, me and my husband have had, of course, the same scenario both ways, and that's, you know, a real relationship to me. So here you are, a puddle crying in your wife's arm, and she's holding you, yes. you know? Yeah. Well, um, I, you know, I think a lot of it has to do, I, I don't know how much was wrapped up in gender identity okay. at that point. I We were both um, very uh, active and connected in the queer community, and had done a lot of work around gender identity stuff. And so I, I, even at that point in my life, I was not too wrapped up in male gender identity stuff. I mean, there's always unconscious things there, but I just didn't have that. Um, I was surrounded by too many strong women to like <laughs> think that I needed to be the sole silent provider um, at that point. But the, um, But I did have a lot of shame about, like needing to do it on my own, like needing, you know, just just worried about failure, worried about failure, shame about failure, shame about, um, uh, you know, mm. some vague, unspecified doom, you know, that if I if I couldn't hold it together, uh, this kind of thing, and um, you know, and there was a lot of shame that was also built, or built up from childhood. I was not. Um, you know, I was teased and bullied when I was little and I was, you know, when I was young and I was, I was easily emotional and so I wasn't, there was a lot of, there were a lot of things that I didn't really um, get along that easily in school or in grade school. And so there was, a, there was a lot of just inherent shame that I think I carried for who I was and how I was at that time. And mm. it was just amazing to be able to fall apart and realize that there was help available, help from my wife, help from my parents, help from our community and the friends around us. It was um, pretty mm. tremendous. Mm. So you learned that you can ask for help. You learn that it's okay to get support. You learn we can all, we all need support in various moments mm. in a long life. What else did you learn that's you know, from that really tough place, from that that huge moment of my money shame. I mean, you, you're already sharing it, but what do you feel that you really learned that you're continuing today and you're doing money differently today because of it? You know, this this is a this is a core teaching for me, and I think the one that really so strongly resonated for me in Sufism and in the spiritual path is just this piece around helplessness that we're helpless that human beings are helpless that we are animated by uh by divine source and by divine love and that we're but you know it's like a human being the the analogy that i think of a human being is like a very beautiful lamp 
very beautiful light bulb and all the circuitry and everything here. But until we're plugged in and turned on, <laughs> there's not much we can do completely on our own. Like there's there's very in fact there's nothing we can do completely on our own, and that it it requires us to be really deeply connected in order for our lives to work, and. That connection happens at so many levels. It happens at an interpersonal level. It happens at a community level. It happens at a family level. And this is why it's so painful that so many families are dysfunctional or broken or disconnected. Uh, this is, um, you know, you see these in, in different um, ethnic communities or racial communities where there's where there's just been so much destruction of the family. It makes it really, really difficult for people to get their feet on the ground when they don't have that kind of support behind them yeah. and when um and then it happens of course at a spiritual level uh, and the spiritual level of course is behind all of these levels uh mm. from my perspective and that divine connection and the way that love manifests in all these levels divine love manifests in all these levels is really mm. is really what it's about it's mm. really for me that was the main teaching um, and the beginning of that opening um, was around that time in my life. Such a beautiful, touching story of getting help from one's parents and how it's okay to need and get help sometimes. Our last story in this episode comes from another powerhouse friend and colleague, and in this case, one of Barry's personal business coaches, Tanya Geisler. Barry was interviewing her for the Money Memoir series and had asked her what her current relationship to money is. And right in the middle of her answering that question, she had a pretty big moment of shame happen right there in the interview, which you'll hear in a moment. When she was answering a question about what her relationship to money is now, she eventually went back to some patterns she first became aware of in ninth grade, when she started to have fears around where money was going to come from to pay for certain things that she wanted to do. She would have this pattern of fear, but here's what kept happening. I never had to go to the edge of going without. I mean, that's probably not entirely true. I've certainly gone without, but I didn't in grade nine, and I didn't in that trip in Europe, and I didn't, you know, so there there hadn't been any real huge consequences, which is why I say I get, I get the privilege of it. I mean, I really hear the privilege that I've had, um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't go, I didn't need to go, I didn't, Nothing was cut off. You know, I really could have just not done that school activity. Or maybe we didn't need to stay at that chateau in, in France, right? Like, but, so, I get, so I get all that, but I didn't learn that lesson early enough because I never, ever went without. Mm, okay. So, I mean, you really... Oh, my gosh, hang on. Yeah, I just yeah. like, whoa. Yes. That's just, yes. that's the... Oh. Man. What did you just... See, shame, right? like whoa, shame, 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 shame. Yeah. About which part? About what word that you use? The privilege. About. Hmm. Hmm. So my folks need to hear this. You know, if you're willing, like we, um, my community is a full spectrum. You know, my community <laughs> is folks who came from what they call poor families, who came from working class, who came from very wealthy families, who, you know, everywhere in between. And I see and feel the pain all over the spectrum, where we came from, where we are now. So what just happened in you even sharing a, tend, a really tender place that you go to, and then I immediately saw that, and you did say, but I know that that's privilege. 
that's how you you didn't you you didn't you immediately did that butt thing you know that I think I was doing earlier mm-hmm. uh, um, but it was really no big deal because um I never went without or I always had food I always had clothing and shelter and I always mm-hmm. so um in the spirit of you know full transparency so so part of the the heroine's journey, the hero's journey here is that I'm I'm working my way towards the other side, or I've worked, you know, I've, I've certainly have worked my way towards the other side. But the part, sorry, I didn't mean to drift off there, but because I have lots of great to say about what I'm really proud of, and I want to just honor what's yeah. happening because part, so much a part of that privilege, um, my. Um, Oh my goodness, this is so tender. This is so tender. Mm-hmm. My uh, parents, I learned, you know, the the easy. But let me just how do how do I how do I want to phrase this, so that I'm holding how my my profound love for my parents and what they gave me. Yeah, I just want to just like make sure that that is good and clear. Um, My parents worked very hard when I was younger um, and made sure that I had a really beautiful life and there was no lack of stake and there was no lack of, there was no lack, there was simply no lack. And there might have been, there might have been some places, but I just wasn't aware of them. Um, And then I went to a super privileged high school and then I started to see some lack, but it it was nothing ever that was, I guess that was part of the $20, you know, I didn't want to miss out on whatever that school activity was, so I guess that's where that comes from. But it wasn't the, it wasn't the kind of, you know, um, if I needed $20, I could just always go to my parents with, you know, I needed to, I needed to die that thousand deaths because I needed to come up with that money. So I guess there's that. What I've seen though, is that my parents lived to the edge of their earnings as well. So we went to Europe every second year, and we are now um, on the precipice of my dad moving into a teeny little apartment because he didn't save. Mm. Mm. Uh Uh-oh. So they, yeah, they, I don't know all the background, but they (laughs) worked hard to give you, I don't know if it was what they didn't have, what they wanted so bad for their children, Mm -hmm. Um, and you were really taken care of, and yet I've seen in, in those moments when we're so taken care of, then some of us feel in that space, and we shouldn't have any feelings, uh, bad feelings, or there's no room to have issues around bodies or relationships or social right. stuff or, you know, anything else because we're really all, all we're taking, we, we, there's no lack in all those other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's in there, but I'm also hearing another whole piece of, you know, what they gave to you and the beauty of that, but the missing piece was they didn't they didn't take care they didn't take care of their future. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So this is the extremely painful place of 
you know, exquisite learning. Really, that's what that's what's happening here. So this is in my, you know, in my newer relationship with money. This is this has defined it. This has absolutely defined my new my newer relationship with money. And how how are you stepping into the concept of future or savings or you know what was your response or reaction to that? Did you save early on or no? Were you more of you? Well, you actually said it. You said I'm a good earner and I'm a good spender. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah. so I'm a later bloomer, I think, when it comes to um, to money management and. I'm not sure those are the words that you use, but this is sort of how I'm relating to it. And I've been working with a metaphor for the last number of years where I look at money as a house that I'm building. So this, you know, this, this home thing is clearly really up for me. Um, when I think about creating, creating wealth, I think of it in terms of building a home. And what that represents for me is, you know, multifaceted. And I'm sure you could sort of imagine that that means some safety and that means care and that means love and that means community and it means, you know, when I think about that home, that sort of metaphor of home, it's like a house on a hill and it's dark but the lights are on and it's super cheery and there's there's a party going on and there's a feast happening. So I think about, if I'm building a house, I, you know, I need, I need a foundation, right? I need a foundation that needs to be, I actually really understand how a house gets built. Can I pause you for one? Can I pause you for one second and say, you know, is there anything that you need or would be helpful? I mean, you just, you know, here you are. You're my coach, you know, (laughs) and we're shifting. And you, you just went to a really tender place, live, you know, right here. Um, Thank you. Thanks for the care. Yeah. I mean, is there something, are you feeling it in your body? Is there just like you need to step out of it and share more of like your evolution in this moment? Is there anything else that needs to be said about for the younger part of you, to your parents? No, thank you. Thank you for the care. And and, uh, no, I'm, I'm, this is, this is the part that feels, um, this feels good. This this metaphor is really powerful for me, and it okay. helps me look at what I am creating and how I'm creating it, and um, and honoring um, the deep love and care that I do have. Because I because I recognize too that uh, one of the tangential tender parts is my mom died at 59, and um, they had a lot of people around them judging for their lack of. Uh, you know, really concerted savings. They had a lot of people in their life that that challenged them on on the way that they spent. Um, my mom was quite ill and wouldn't. Or, you know, it was it, sorry. The language was always, "You need to save for retirement. You need to save for retirement. You need to. You should have saved for retirement. You should have." And look at your life now. So this is like a lot of the the experience that I think that probably my dad has has had. You know, my mom died before retirement age. Um, the experiences that she had in her life, you know, those are mm-hmm. those are the things that, like, just mm-hmm. I know that keep my dad's fire, you know, mm-hmm. lit up. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's mm-hmm. really true. Yeah. So when I think about this metaphor of the wealth that I'm creating and that my husband's creating, we're a team, 
it's a house that is being built, and you can't take away once the walls are up. You don't take away the walls. You know, you don't take the roof off once the roof is once the roof is built. You keep adding to it. So this is you know my evolving relationship. It's like this is this is not a mountain of money that you just sort of pile on and then take away as needed. This is a house. This is a this is a sanctuary. This is a temple. And all are welcome inside, but I cannot shelter, I cannot comfort, I cannot feed if I don't have this place to do it from. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com. <laughs>